Welcome to Harrison Church. Join us for our annual Trunk Retreat on Saturday, October 28th from 5 to 7 p.m. We will have music, food, and lots of fun. If you're interested in hosting a trunk, please email kelly at harrisonchurch.org. We hope you enjoy this week's message. There it is. My Bible just appeared. There you go. Need that. Well, you know that as I was listening to that song, it's very much what we'll be talking about today. One of my favorite hymns that we sing in the sanctuary is, What Wondrous Love Is This? We're going to think about the wondrous love of God today. If, if you are a visitor with us today, um, we are kind of halfway through a sermon series that we've been doing on these uh, biblical figures we call the Minor Prophets as opposed to the major prophets. And what we've been discussing is what makes the minor prophets minor is not what they preach necessarily, it's just the length of their book. And uh, we have talked about, there's 12 minor prophets, we can't talk about all 12, but we're talking about five. And we've discussed the, the preaching of two of the prophets so far. We heard from Amos. He was the very first prophet really to hit the scene of Israel. And he was just grumpy the whole, whole time. You know, he's just really upset about how Israel's treating the poor of their society. And, and then last week, we remember the prophet Habakkuk. Remember Habakkuk? Some of you were here. And Habakkuk opens his sermon by asking God, why is there so much injustice in the world if, if you, O oh God, are, are so just? And uh, today... What we'll do is we'll spend time with someone who actually preached about the same time as Amos preached. So they were contemporaries of each other. But whereas Amos, he was filled with this holy indignation. What we'll see in Hosea is that his message is still powerful, but it's different. Hosea is not filled with rage, but he's filled with emotion. And his is an experience that we can only call just, it's right here. I mean, it's just, it is just visceral. Now, I will tell you that uh, what we're about to hear is the words of Hosea, that God speaks to him. It is kind of rated PG-13 or higher, maybe NC-17. I don't know if you had a chance to read some of this, so uh, I'm mindful. I will tell you in the last service, (laughs) uh, someone came up to me, he says, you know, this is 830 service, and he says, we had more children today than we've ever had in our lives, and you read that passage. Great! I thought I could get away with it in the early service, but let's hear... uh, what Hosea says to the people, or what, really what God says to Hosea. I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for the reading here from the minor prophet Hosea. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take for yourself a wife uh-huh, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, I'm going to skip ahead now to chapter 2, but there are children involved. I will kind of fill in the blanks there. But we see what God has called Hosea to do. And then Hosea starts to preach. Say to your brother Ami and to your sister Rumaha, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife. I am not her husband. That she, and he's really referring to the people of Israel, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. For she said, I will go after my lovers. They give me bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. She shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them. She shall seek them but shall not find them. And then she will say, I will go 
in return to my first husband, for it was better with me then than now. And here's what God says. Therefore, I will now persuade her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And on that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. I will take you for my wife forever. And you shall know the Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Even when the word of God is uncensored for us here. Yeah. I mean, let's just think about this. And this is visceral. I mean, here's God. I, it just boggles my mind. God commands Hosea to go and to take for himself, in the language of our text, a wife of whoredom, and to have children by her. And so Hosea, he, he meets a woman named Gomer, very popular name still today, Gomer. <laughs> and if you read the rest of Hosea, it's at this moment where the cycle of anguish really begins for him. Now, most of us, when we uh, think the wife of Horton, what we think of what Hosea has been asked to do is he's, he's asked to go marry someone who was uh, participating in the oldest profession, wink, wink, you know what I'm talking about? Well, that's what we think. Actually, the Hebrew word uh, that uh, God uses here simply means someone who was highly, and I mean highly, promiscuous. And so in that moment, here's Hosea, and he loves Gomer. And we see him dealing with the pain of Seeing the woman he loves and with whom he made vows of marriage, betraying him over and over and over again. Can you imagine? I mean, can you just imagine the pain that goes on deep in his soul? Now, one of the things about the prophets that sets them apart from the rest of us is that the prophets were known to feel what God feels. Uh, Life was not always good. They felt the way God felt. And this could be a great burden to them. And what Hosea becomes like a symbol. He becomes this living parable. All right, Hosea. Here, here's you, you know, you're, you're seeing the pain, you're feeling the pain of your spouse betraying you over and over. And Hosea, the pain that you're feeling deep in your soul is nothing, the Lord is saying to him. Nothing compared to the pain I'm feeling in my soul when I see the very people I love. The people with whom I exchange vows of marriage. Leaving me, betraying me for the seductions of other gods. You know, if you really uh, read the, the Old Testament, the relationship between God and God's people is often described as like a marriage. It's like a marriage. You know, Moses, he delivers the people from Egypt. They eventually get to a place called Mount Sinai. And Moses is commanded to go up to Mount Sinai. God gives him the law. And God wants Moses to deliver the law to the people. Now, here's what's interesting. If you go back to Exodus and read the story, before God gives the people the law, he first asks for their consent. He does not just impose the law on them. It's as if God says to the people of Israel, will you marry me? And then the people say, yes, Lord, we will be faithful to you. And in that moment... The Bible calls it a covenant. A covenant is, is ratified between God and Israel, like right? this covenant, this covenant. Now, sometimes, let's think about that word covenant. Sometimes we confuse the word covenant with contract. I mean, we live in a very contractual society. We sign contracts all the time, cell phone contracts, 
cable contracts. Well, we live with contracts. And what happens at a contract? You agree to pay some money, and in exchange for your money, you sign a contract saying, I will pay this amount, and you expect something, some good in exchange for your money. Kind of goes back and forth. Now, what's interesting is that sometimes you and I can think of our relationship with God as like a contract. It's like we'll say, oh, all right, Lord, um, I will say mm, two prayers a day. I will read my Bible as much as I can. I will come to church at least twice a month. And in exchange, oh, Lord, for all that I'm doing here, I expect you to give me some benefits. It's only fair, but it doesn't work like that. It's not a contract that we have with God. A contract ultimately is self-interested. It's like your self-interest, the other party's got some self-interest, and and you're trying to get what each of you wants. But a covenant is so much different than a contract. When you see the word covenant, a covenant is when I say to you, I say, I am going to share everything I am with you, and I'm going to not take my interest. I'm going to share my interest with you. And my hope is that in exchange, you will offer yourself fully to me, and you will share your interests with me. And then together, we're going to learn how to care for each other. We're going to learn how to live together. We're going to learn how to support and love one another through thick and through thin. See, a contract is over as soon as someone breaks it. I didn't get what I want. It's over. The contract is broken. But a covenant is, hey, we're we're going to try to go the distance with each other. The ups and the downs. This is why when you come to church, we never call it, huh, you know, we're standing before each other. We're about to enter into a marriage contract. No, we don't say that word. We say it's a marriage covenant. It goes the distance. Now, now I will say, since I'm on the subject of marriage, I will not say much more than this. But since I'm on the subject of marriage, I will tell you that nothing annoys us clergy quite like our society's wedding industrial complex. We've got a billion-dollar industry here on weddings, and they, they are so good at what they do. And they will say, oh, 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 one day you'll get to, you'll get to have a wedding, and, and, and your life in that moment, once you're finally able to walk down the aisle with someone, your life will reach completion for just $10,000 or maybe more. Your life is going to be so good from that moment on. And then I'm like, oh, because what I have to do is pop all of these balloons when people come, and I do these premarital counseling. Pastor Kyle just did this. And one of the things I always have to tell people is like, yes, you know, marriage is a gift. I love being married. I love my wife. There is, jo- <laughs> there is joy. Because I can tell you, she's, she's getting tense right now. She doesn't know I'm talking about this. You know, it, it, there is joy in marriage. There's all of this. But here's what, I, here's what I tell people, and this is what the wedding industrial complex will not tell you, is, is that I'm, a covenant like marriage is fraught with risks. Because as soon as you open up yourself to someone and share who you are with someone, you are opening yourself up. For the possibilities of pain, of sorrow, of injury. And that's why one of the most painful experiences that people can ever go through is when a marriage dissolves. Nobody ever gets married and says, well, I hope this falls apart one day. It's awful. And we as the people of God, we need to stand with people who are going through that. The church does not have a good track record on how it cares for those who are going through the turmoil of a broken marriage. It's painful. And they need compassion. But you are opening yourself up in that moment 
There's risk involved in making a covenant with someone. And so, so God says to Israel, will you be my bride? And, and Israel says, yes. And in that moment, in this covenant, think about it. God, in that moment, really opened himself up to the possibilities of betrayal and to pain. And, and what happens with the story is that Israel, over and over again, is that they keep finding that the lifestyles promised by the other gods of their time, ooh, look at those lifestyles, are so much, seem to be so much more attractive. They seem to be so much more seductive, so much more exciting than the lifestyle that Israel was called to live by making a commitment with God. And so God says to Hosea, this is the adult language, my people keep committing whoredoms because they keep leaving me for other gods. You will actually find this phrase in other parts of the Bible. I think it's in the book of Judges where God's people are, are, are described as going a whoring after other gods. What a great church word this is. You know, here we have, we, we're going to be giving Bibles to children next week. Uh, I think some of them are going to be like third graders. And, you know, we think, oh, that's so harmless, you know, it's so, so great. But, you know, one of them may actually open up to Hosea and go, Mom, what does whoredom mean? Right? This is, this is stuff, and, 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 and this is what happens, and this is what we do. You know, you and I, when we like to think about the day that you're baptized, or that you're baptized a child, or any time you remember your baptism, the day you are baptized, you are entering into a covenant, and we are promising that we'll raise our children to be faithful, that we ourselves will be, we will be faithful to the Lord. We will do what the Lord wants of us, but as soon as we leave the church, what happens to us? We are so enticed, aren't we? We are so seduced by other things and other lifestyles that seem to be so much more exciting than what God has called us to be on the day in and the day out. It's like, you know, God says to us, every Sunday we gather here, I am going to be faithful to you. I want you to trust in my care, trust in my provision. But then we leave, and all of a sudden, oh, we, we hear the voices of the gods of our society. Oh, oh, the gods of money. Oh, the gods of affluence and leisure and, and entertainment saying, oh, no, 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 no. I got what you need too. I can bring some excitement to your life. You need more of me. And the affair begins. You and I, this is just who we are. We, are. we are so easily seduced by the pickup lines of the false gods around us. You know, someone once said that uh, you can actually tell which god you're really worshiping. All you have to do is ask yourself right now, wherever you are in your life, what is right now your greatest concern? What is your ultimate concern? What do you, right now, what are you spending most of your time thinking about? What preoccupies you through the week? What do you want more than anything else? And if you think you got that, you will have everything you need. Whatever you and I want more than anything else, that is our God. And throughout the Bible, God wants to be the ultimate concern of his people. He wants to be the, the ultimate object of their desires, but yet they keep fooling around, betraying him with seductions of other gods and other things. Hosea, before I move on, Hosea actually spells out 
what uh, Israel's betrayals look like. They're fooling around. If you go to chapter 4, the book of Hosea, Hosea says this is what our society looks like when we're fooling around with the other gods that's not the true God when we're leaving the way of the Lord. He says this, in our land there is now no longer any truth. I was going to say there's only fake news, but I wasn't going to go there. There's no longer any truth in the land. There's no longer any mercy in the land. There's no longer any knowledge of God in the land. And then he goes on in chapter 4. This is my paraphrase. He says there's only widespread violence everywhere. There's only warmongering. There's only people profiting on the backs of the poor. There's only pornography everywhere you look. And, Hosea says, even the planet itself, the land, the sea, The animals are suffering because we have forsaken the Lord. Wow, that sounds relevant today, doesn't it? God's people of Israel in the time of Hosea, they were having an affair. And they were having an affair with sex, money, and power. And right here at the beginning of uh, chapter 1 of Hosea, God says, and I've had enough and I am going to serve them divorce papers. I've had enough. And who could blame him? Betrayal after betrayal after betrayal after betrayal. God says, I'm done. I'm done. I'm finished. Actually, if you go on to read what we left out, God uh, tells Hosea to name at least two of his children these names. All right, you've had a son. I want you to name your son, I will not have mercy. And then I want you to name your next son, you are not my people. God had had enough. And then... Right here at the end of our passage, what what does God say? He says, I can't do it. I can't do it. I just cannot leave them. And he says, "I, I know what I'll do. I'll just wait right here. And she's going to return to me. And then I'm going to speak tenderly to her. He's almost like a lover who's got this fantasy that one day the person will come back. You know, I was thinking at this point, if you you heard me preaching for a while, this is usually a place where I I try to quote somebody from the the theological world uh, who's very eloquent, much more eloquent than I could. And I thought about doing that, but I'm not going to do that this time. I'm actually going to quote from a different theological source, uh, and that is the band Led Zeppelin. And... um, because i got to tell you, this is my, my, my next lame musical reference. I've been doing this. This is a pattern. Here's the next one. But I've had this song by Led Zeppelin. It's on their very first album. And what God is saying to Hosea about the people of God who keep having affairs with other gods is, I can't quit you, babe. I can't quit you, babe. My love for you, I could never hide. You ought to really listen to it. It's a great song. Actually, it's written by Willie Dixon, but we don't know Willie Dixon, so we'll just say Led Zeppelin. But this is what God is saying through the prophet Hosea. I, I just, I got to get out of this. I got to get out. This is, this is killing me. But I cannot quit you. Now, we would. Now, I do not want anybody to hear that this is a sermon where, oh, if we're, if we're in a relationship where it's just constant abuse, well, clearly we must stay. We're not God here. This is not about us. This is about who God is is. God says to the people, I cannot do it. I can't. Despite what you're doing, despite the affairs you're having, I'm calling you to this life with me, but you don't want this life. You want the lifestyle of the other gods all around you. I still can't leave you alone. And then God, God ends up saying, it's the most beautiful language. He says, 
you're going to return to me and you're going to be my wife. And you shall know the Lord. Hello. That word know, K-N-O-W, whenever you hear see the word know in the context of like a marriage, like Adam and Eve knew each other, this is a euphemism, folks, for you know. You know. Here is God. Think about this. Here is God. And he is saying that he, despite what we're doing, he wants to be as intimate with us the way a married couple is intimate with each other. You shall know me. It's my head knowledge he's talking about here. He's talking about real intimacy. Let's spend a couple seconds with this. This is a radical concept in the ancient world. Because I'm going to tell you, if you read about the gods of the ancient world, the gods of the ancient world were all about power. Boy, they were all about sovereignty. Even we use this language that God is omnipotent. Oh, he's the all-powerful one. Or we will say, hey, you know, you know that God of the Old Testament? Uh, well, he's a wrathful God. He's mean. He, he is a vengeful God. This is a total and complete false stereotype. Because the God that we meet in the prophet Hosea is, is a God who really is this irrational lover. He is a jilted lover. He is an irrational romantic who, despite all the times we betray him, he, he, just, he just waits and he hopes that we will come back. Oh, I'm thinking of another song. You'll come running back. Sorry. <laughs> he wants us to come back to him. He, he just cannot leave us alone at all. Let's make this personal. You know, I bet you there's some of you who could do a little testimony right now. There have been times in your life where if you really assessed what you were doing at the time, you would think to yourself, man, God clearly couldn't have anything to do with me anymore. It's over. What you ended up doing is instead of being faithful to the God who has called you, you you found yourself kind of feeding your own addictions, whatever that might be. It could be substance. It, it could be drink. It could be money. It could be anything. You're, you're feeding your addictions. Next thing you know, you realize, man, my life is a total wreck. It is a mess. And you think in that moment, maybe God, God is going to just leave me alone in that moment. I, I, it's, it's too much. I've done too much. I mean, you think about Jesus. Think about us as the body of Christ. I mean, we are the church, and, and the New Testament actually calls the church we are the bride of Christ. Like Jesus is our spouse. And, and we are a people. We are called to be a people of mercy and, and grace and unity and generosity and all of these things. But you know, man, the church, we, man, we have affairs all the time with our God. It's nothing like that. Instead of seeing a people of grace and generosity, what, what the church often becomes, and even now, right, we're divided. We're, we're mean to each other. We, 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 we mistrust each other. We, we are not the generous people God has called us to be at all. Dorothy Day, the great Catholic social worker, one day she will be a saint. She once says this. She says, you know, you think about the church. The church really is our mother. The day we are baptized and born again in Christ in the church, the church becomes our mother. But then she says, but that church can act like a harlot at times you think about your own life 
You know, one of my great privileges as a pastor is that I'll have people come to me, and, and they will come, and, and this is what a, what a holy privilege this is, and they will just confess, and these are the things that I've done, and my life's a wreck, and they, and they live with this guilt, and what I have discovered is that when people come to a pastor, there's a common thread, and what everybody really wants to know is, is there still hope for me? Is there still hope for me? And what I get to tell them is what Hosea says. God really wants to speak tenderly to you. He's waiting for you. He wants you, ba- he wants you back. I mean, God really is this madly, irrationally, and hopelessly in love with us. You know, one of my favorite scriptures, one of my top five is from 2 Timothy 2.13. And the passage says this, that even when we are not faithful, our God is faithful. Even when we are not faithful, our God remains faithful. I do not know who this sermon needs to be for today, but this is simply the good news for you. Some of you right now, you know you've been unfaithful. You've been living with guilt. You've been living with the mess that you've created in your life, and maybe you wonder, is there still hope for me? What I want to say to you is that actually God wants to speak tenderly to you. God is madly in love with you, even irrationally so. And I'm going to give to you the promise that God gave to Hosea. The day is coming, even you who have been unfaithful, when you shall know the Lord. It's not over. Welcome back. Let us pray. Well, Lord, we are your wayward people. You call us into a covenant with you to love you, but we have not loved you in return. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. But, Lord, you are the God who refuses to give up on us. And I pray for the person or persons who are in this room, in this space right now, who know the extent of their own infidelity that you are waiting and you want them back so that you can speak tenderly to them. Lord, what can we say except help us love you the way you love us? Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Follow us on Facebook for up-to-date information about news, events, and ways to get involved at Harrison Church. You can also visit us online at harrisonchurch.org.